Hello, good morning. I'm Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and I'm here as usual on Wednesday to hang out with you for an hour. I can, I'm here to answer any questions that you have about anything regarding Stillmeyer Games or beyond. I have a few questions for you and some general topics to discuss. Nothing big today. No e-newsletter today. We'll, I'll send that out next week since we're not quite in March. And that actually leads me to my first topic of the day. Uh, we have Leap Day tomorrow for the first time in a few years. Uh, are you all doing anything special for that? I, I, uh, I don't have anything really special planned, either for Stillmeyer or personally, but uh, it's kind of fun to have an extra day. feels like we get, you know, that everything is extra that we get on a, on a leap day. So I'm curious if you're doing anything fun or if you have any traditions for, for leap years or leap days. Um, wonderful to see so many people are already here today. Thanks for, for gathering. I think some of you were here before I was. Uh, I was working on, I'm working on a, a, a project and I, I get very immersed in this project and then I, I don't want to forget what I'm doing. So I was wrapping up something I was doing for that project before, before, before hopping over here. I wanted to share my chocolate of the day today. We recently got Girl Scout cookies and one that I haven't tried yet. You can see I haven't opened up this box yet are the Adventurefuls. I'm curious to see how these turn out. I like brownies in general. I'm a little curious to see if that will work in, in cookie form, but we'll see. Do you all have a favorite Girl Scout cookie that you that you gravitate towards? I wouldn't, I'm not saying that this is my favorite yet. I want to try this one. We're currently eating the s'mores version of the cookies. And I think I also got some Samoas. Not too many this year because I I have, uh, I, I still, I eat a lot of cookies in, in general, but I generally try to buy them from people who make them locally. So, uh, but I do have friends who have Girl Scouts and so I want to support them as well. Oh. Julia, thank you, Julia, for the reminder. I actually did put on my sticky note today. Remember to clip questions. And Julia was very kind to remind me today. Thank you for doing that. Oh, Ian says, here's a leap day, my leap day leap to your question. He says, Tivana Tea releases a special tea called Bringadoon based on a Scottish legend that they only release every four years and only on leap day. That's cool. Have a, a tradition for leap day. Stomar Games has been around long enough that we could we could have had a leap day tradition at this point. Um, it's a little late for me to think about at this point, but uh, maybe maybe in four years I'll try to think of something. Tony wants me to open the cookies and eat them live. I'll end up with with brownie my teeth if I do that, Tony. But maybe near the end of the video I'll give it a try. Uh, Garrett says, "Do you think you'll back River Valley Glassworks?" I read it will be the first time I'll play as a regular and a deluxe version of one of their games. I had the pleasure of playing this game with Garrett and a few others at Virtual Game Night on Board Game Arena last week. And I really enjoyed it. It's one of those games that I think you have to play twice. Uh, where the, the first time I played it, I was like, okay, I appreciate what this game is. I am too far along now to really um, to undo all the mistakes that I've made. And so after Garrett, actually after game night ended, Megan and I played a very quick game. She crushed me. And um, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed both versions, but I enjoyed that one more once I knew what I was doing in River Valley Glassworks. This is an Azul-style game from All Play. To answer your question, Garrett, I don't know yet. I I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It 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 maybe we'll see. I think uh, part of the problem is if a game is available on Board Game Arena and I enjoy playing it there, it is definitely less likely for me that I will go buy that game unless I'm really really excited about the table presence of that game. And I think the table presence of this game will be nice. Um, I think also the game has to be a really smooth teach, um, for me to then go from the, the digital play to the tabletop play, uh, because it, sometimes I'll play a game on board game Marina and I'll be, and I'll be like, oh, I want to share this with more people who I'm not, who I don't play games on board game Marina with. Um, but it has to be a smooth teach. River Valley Glassworks is a little clunky. Like I, I said, for that first play, uh, to understand the dynamics of the game in that first play. So I don't know. I don't know. No knock against the game at all. I, I really did enjoy it. I have a video about it coming out soon. Uh, but we'll see. That's a good question. What about you? What about you, Garrett, now that you've played it? Steve says that he got some Adventurefuls as well, and it lasted about two games. That's That That uh, makes me excited to try them. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. Some people, Lou says that they don't get Girl Cut cookies over in in uh, England, I believe, but they have uh, Lotus Biscoff cookies. Those sound good. I do love British treats. 
Um, and Garrett points out, Ian, Ian says that he enjoyed Glassworks. Garrett points out the tactile element of the uh, the, the glass tokens in the game. I definitely, I, I love glass tokens in games, as you can tell from, from Viticulture. I have a couple of questions for you today, but let me throw out a few just general things that have been going on with me. Um, I played disc golf this past weekend, beautiful weather in St. Louis. Also went to the farmer's market, got some of those fresh local cookies that I mentioned. And we had our cookbook club. This is when we... Uh, a bunch of friends and I, we we pick a cookbook and then we each pick a recipe from that cookbook and bring it to cookbook club. I made some broccolini. Um, I can't remember the name of the cookbook, but it, I made some some charred broccolini. That, that was pretty good. It had almond slivers, some some lemon zest. It was decent. And I've, I've been playing some really great games lately, including River Valley Glassworks. I also played Harrow County recently. Um, has a, a dice tower built into the box of the game, which I thought was really clever. And the action system in it is brilliant. Played Dune Imperium while watching Dune in preparation for the new Dune movie the other day. Are any of you excited about, about the Dune movie? I am I am really excited to see part two and it was fun to, to play and watch. We might even play it again at game night tonight. We'll see. Um, and we've also been playing the Seventh Citadel. We just started venturing into one of the campaigns last night. And after doing the introductory uh, scenario, and I really like how the new campaign is set up. So it's uh, it's basically broken into smaller chunks. So we I had this book, and we it gave us an objective, and we went and did that objective, and then we came back to the citadel, and I said, okay, you can now continue on with the next next objective. Uh, I don't always like games that are that are um, that are, like this is essentially an open world game that has a, an objective driven focus with a longer campaign broken into smaller scenarios. That isn't always my preference, but I really liked it here. And I, I'm excited, made me excited to play uh, the next scenario. What else do we play? I played Challengers on Board Game Arena recently. Oh, and Bellatro. Bellatro is a poker-like deck-building digital rogue-like card game that uh, a few people recommended to me, including Garrett here, my friend Pete, and a few others. And I have played it a few times now, and I, I think it's brilliant i think it's really really cool really addictive especially if you like poker if you like deck building either of those two things i think they mix really well in the game and one of the things i really like about the game if, if you've heard about it and you don't really know what it is you're not playing a poker hand against anyone you are just trying to create and play uh a few different great poker hands to get a bunch of points and the points are what you are using to to go on to the next level in the game to, to continue playing basically and the really neat thing about the game is that you have a hand of eight cards and before you play your hand of those eight cards so you're picking a poker hand so it's up to five cards that you're playing you can actually discard cards out of your hand and redraw back up to eight to hopefully improve the chances of making your hand even better uh and each each run that you have so each challenge that you face you have a limited number of discards so a limited number of times you can do that and a limited number of hands you can even play so my, I think the default is four. You have four hands to play to get a bunch of points. And I don't know. It's just a really, really unique challenge that I've really been enjoying. I highly recommend checking out Bellatro if you like deck building or poker. Uh, Brenda says that comic writer Gail Simone asked uh, tabletop gamers if there were any game publishers that people trust enough to buy their releases outright. And Stillmeyer was probably the most common response. Oh, wow. I'm I'm absolutely honored to hear that, Brenda. Thank you for sharing that. I saw Gail post about that. I saw a few people tag Stillmeyer Games, but I didn't realize that we were mentioned all that often. And I I uh, appreciate the opportunity to to have your trust. I don't really I don't expect anyone to buy all of our games. We make a lot of games, and and we have more in the works. Um, but I'm honored that anyone would even consider to continually to at least even look into our games every time that we have a new release. There's certainly some publishers and designers like that for me when I, I don't buy everything they make, but when they make something, I'm excited to learn more about it to see if it's a good fit for me. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be on that list. Uh, let's see. Austin says, have I tried Dune Imperium Uprising? I have not, but I am hoping to try it soon. I've not played that yet. We were playing the original. We played with some of the expansion cards, but none of the expansion elements when Megan and I played the other night. Chad says, there's a Star Wars cookbook. That actually is the next one we selected, Chad. We have, uh, Megan and I have, we have multiple Star Wars cookbooks. Megan and I have one, and then the group has another one. And I think it's from that one that we're cooking for our next cookbook club. So I'm excited to try some Star Wars recipes. 
Jordan says he got his first disc golf match in the year up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and busted out the scythe putter. How did it go? Did it work out well for you? It's a pretty good putter. I, I use the scythe disc more for um, more for like 150 to 200 foot uh, shots. And I, I have a different, I use the Green Gully putter for for a little closer. And then I have another putter, not, not a Stomeyer putter that I use for, for, I don't know, 15 to 25 feet. Yeah. William says, during a leap year, everyone has to wait one more day for their birthday. However, my wife, whose birthday is March 1st, really feels the delay. So she finds fun celebrating her birthday for two days. Totally fair. I like that she gets to celebrate her birthday for two days there. That's a fun little uh, trivia fact about you, William, about your wife. Garrett says, how many plays of Harrow County did you get in? We we just played one game. I played one game um, with a friend who had backed a copy of Harrow County. Garrett says, I really enjoyed the new rules from game to game, particularly the bonuses for selecting certain actions, forcing you to make tougher choices. Yeah, there seemed to be a lot of variability. So it's an asymmetric, two, mostly two-player game. I think there was a third faction, but I think it's mostly designed for two players. And there's asymmetry between the two of them. And then there's also a bunch of different characters. I think like six different characters per faction that, that would change up that special ability quite a bit. So asymmetry upon asymmetry in the game, I thought was, was really clever. But I, I only played once so far. Sanders says, I wa I'll watch the first part, watch Doom part one, and he's going to the cinema for part two. A lot of people are saying they're going to see it and check it out. Uh, Timotep says, have I played Meteora? Really interesting game. No, I haven't even actually heard of that one. What makes it interesting, interesting to you? What are you loving about it? Greg is excited about his copy of Wormspan. will be one of the featured games at Oklahoma Token Con coming up. Thank you, Greg, for, for teaching it there. I really appreciate that. That's wonderful. Oh, and Greg mentioned playing with as well. Yeah, I actually sent out the May and did I go up to June. I think I did May and June playing wins yesterday. So once a month, I go onto our Google Doc, our playing win Google Doc, for any convention that is that has a playing win section, and they fill out the Google Doc. I send them almost all of them. I would say ninety nine percent of them. I send I send at least one game, often between two and four games. Um, and if you don't know what play and win is, the idea is that if you go to a game convention that has play and win, they have a library of games where they're either donated by publishers and or bought by the convention to serve their, their attendees. And you can check out the game to play, and then you write your name down or enter your name somehow associated with that play of the game. And then at the end of the convention, for everyone, it, it, names are drawn for every game, uh, and someone wins those games. So for example, if we donated Red Rising to Greg's convention and you play it, you try it, you play Red Rising and you like it enough that you actually write your name down. You don't always have to write your name down. Um, and you might have your name drawn out of a hat at the end of the convention, a virtual hat or a real hat, and you might win that copy that you played. So it gives you a reason to try a bunch of different games at the convention that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise have tried or that you're at least interested in and you have a chance at winning them. And I particularly like conventions that do this where they only have, where each person can only win one game. There were some early instances at Geekway to the West where the same person won like five games because they played a lot of games and they happened to get lucky and they've changed it since then so you can only win one game. A few people are mentioning their love for Bellatro. Corey says he's prototyping a new design for playtesting night tonight. I hope that goes well for you, Corey. I'm always nervous when I'm trying out a new prototype. Jeremy says you mentioned Ryan Lockett last week. Ryan is the mastermind behind Red Raven Games. Uh, my most recent play of his is Sleeping Gods, Distant Skies. Jeremy says, are there any favorite games of his? We enjoy Rome. I, I do have Rome on the shelf. I enjoy Rome and are enjoying, are looking forward to getting our copy of Creature Caravan. I'm looking forward to Creature Caravan too. Yeah, that's that's definitely on my list to, to get. Um, or not to get, I've already I already backed it on GameBound, but to receive. I, ooh, I like a lot of Ryan's games. Um, Sleeping Gods is probably at the top of the list either one i think both are, are very good what's his non non-campaign game i i really enjoyed the um near and far campaign that was one that we played all the way through I'm trying to think of my favorite game of his that i play more than once but i would say those are those are probably at the top of the list right now for me let's see julio says do i use a range finder when i play disc golf i don't use a range finder but a few friends have them yeah i don't i don't use it personally though Ian says, 
One of his co-workers got her copy of Wormspin in last night. She bought it quickly after I told her about it. The dragon theme hooked her. It's been so exciting to see people playing with Wormspan, sharing their photos and stories and strategies and questions. Uh, we're always happy to answer questions in the Facebook group and on Morgan Geek and our website. But it's been really exciting to see you get out there. And I'm super excited about the retail release, which is just a few weeks away now, March 29th. If you're waiting for your retail pre-ordered copy or any, you know, you have to pre-order it. You can get it from your retailer, even if you don't pre-order. They are scheduled for the release on March 29th. Ahmed is curious about the Expeditions expansion that I've put on the progress chart, but I haven't talked about it yet much beyond saying that there are two new mechs and also two new mech mats in it. Um, but stay tuned to the Expeditions Inside newsletter for, for maybe some early sneak peeks at what is to come in the expansion. We're still a few months out. We're still wrapping up production, so it's a little bit too early for me to talk about it at this point, but, um, but I am excited to talk about it in the near future. Steve taught uh, taught Apiary on Friday at the Fire and Ice Con in Wisconsin. Thank you, Steve, so much for teaching Apiary. I really appreciate that. He says, one player ran up in the middle of the game to put tickets in Apiary for the play and win. That's great. That's great. Typically, when, at Geekway, at least, you do it at the end of the game, not uh, not in the middle of the game. But uh, I, I appreciate their excitement to get that in the, in the hat right away. Jeb says they're ready. Uh, he rewatched Dune Part One at home since he was sick the week they reissued it. Uh, that was uh, a couple years ago. We were trying to remember if we saw it in the theater or if we saw it at home first, but we've watched it maybe three times since then. He says this was our third time watching it. We find new things to appreciate each time. It's a, it's a beautifully filmed movie. Um, it's maybe for me it's a little long, especially near the end, but. Um, Every, everything in, in the beauty is, in the movie is just beautiful to watch. It's really stunning cinematography. All right. <laughs> Ian says, how do I feel about those who believe that Wormspan was just a cash grab? Bugs me to no end. You know, the thing that I think that bothers me the most about it is I know the amount of work that the designer, Connie, um, and the artist, Clementine, put into, into, uh, into Wormspan. As a, as a, Publisher, I put a lot of time and love into it as well, but I, I I feel the most for those who put so much time and effort and to see people dismiss it as just a cash grab as a result of that, um, that that does bug me. That does bug me. Um, and plus, I don't, I don't, if you really think about the term crash, cash grab, what are you really referring to? I, I would think that would, that would refer to a very low effort way of making money. Um, but beyond that, any company that is selling something, they are trying to uh, sell it sustainably and hopefully make a profit and have revenue off of that, that product. That there, there is cash involved in it, but uh, for most products, take an immense time, amount of time and resources and effort and love. And when I know how much Connie and Clementine put into it, it's uh, yeah, it's disappointing to see people dismiss it as that. It's been, and hopefully, they give it a chance to actually play it and they can see. What, what it's really about and how much how much time and effort was put into it. Jordan says, what's my go-to brand for disc golf discs? Jordan plays with Westside Discs. I'm an Innova guy. I play mostly with Innova, as you can tell probably from the Innova discs, that uh, the custom Innova discs that Stillmeyer Games releases on our web store. Jed says they're really enjoying their plays of Wormspan. I'm happy to hear that. Might even hit my game table tonight if we have the chance. Let's see, Stace of Spades says, I played my first game of Expeditions last night and it did fit on their table. I'm glad it did fit. I know it was a tight fit. I think you mentioned this before. Based on the insert, it looks like the expansion will fit in the base box, true. Yes, absolutely, yeah. We des we designed the expansion or the uh, insert for um, for Expeditions to fit potential expansion content. I, I didn't design anything before releasing the core game, but I figured I wanted to leave it a little extra room for new mechs if we added a couple more mechs both in terms of the height of the mech mats and space for the uh, the mech miniatures themselves. And I left room for more tiles. I left room for more cards, more tokens, um, not really knowing what those what expansions would hold, but, uh, but I did want everything to fit into that core game insert. Let's see, Burroughs says, can we get a smaller expedition expansion? I just can't put this one on my tile. The tiles are on my table. The tiles are so big. It, it, it takes up around three feet by three feet, which I think is a reasonable amount of table space for a game to take up. 
um, and that includes uh, different configurations of of the the, the mech mats. Um, but a smaller expansion, a smaller version doesn't work. If that's what you're asking for, smaller tiles, because the cards have to fit between the tiles. The cards being within the tiles is a core function of the game, and the cards definitely can't get any smaller. So everything is built around that. The tile, the cards have to fit in between the tiles, so the tiles have to be a certain size. Yeah. Garrett says that Ali and him are headed to a Star Wars Unlimited pre-release event on Saturday at their Friendly Hill Game Store. Have you been following it at all? I'm hoping it does well. I did uh, pre-order a starter pack so I can play it. I, I'm approaching it not as a collectible card game or trading card game, but just as a, a game that I hope will I will enjoy using using uh, just the starter elements in it. So I'm very curious about it. I It has a very high bar to reach to beat the Star Wars deck building game for me. But we'll see. Maybe it'll maybe it'll reach that bar. It's just a pretty high bar there because I love that game so much. But I hope you two really enjoy it. And I'm looking forward to trying it myself. Benjamin says, will there be uh, an ex a campaign expansion like Rise of Fenris? We'll have to see. I want to see how the reception is to the expansion for uh, the first expansion for Expeditions, which is not a campaign expansion. And if it seems like this is a game where people do want maybe a trilogy of, of expansions like Scythe, then we might pursue one of them being a campaign expansion. Um, but we'll see. I think Scythe definitely got, at this point in Scythe's life cycle compared to Expeditions, Scythe was beloved and giving a lot, getting to tables a lot. Expeditions has not seemed to scratch that itch in the same way that I hoped it would. So um, it, may not have, it may not have three expansions in it, but we at least are doing one of them and that one is not a campaign expansion. Shane says he played Wormsman two-player for the for the first time last night. After two solo plays, he confirm he can confirm it's a hit. He loved the new mechanisms. The artwork is gorgeous. Great job. Thank you, Shane, for saying that. Uh, Aaron says that Wormsman and a feast for Odin have been hitting his table a lot over the last few weeks. Steve says, "Will be will we be getting more tiles in the expeditions expansion, or can you not tell us yet?" Um, that part I'm not revealing yet. Um, so far, I've just revealed that there are. Uh, two new mechs and two, ne two new mech mats to go along with those mechs. Uh, Yoa says, what are your thoughts on living card games, LCGs? Do you play any of them? I have a video about this, if you want to check it out, where I go into details about my thoughts on living card games. Um, and do I play any of them? I, I have not gotten immersed in any living card games. I, I've certainly, I'm happy, again, I'm happy for... CCGs and LCGs, collectible card games and living card games. I don't. I, I like to play them just as as games, not as things to get deeply immersed into. Um, so I'm probably missing out on something there, missing on part of the, the core experience of deck construction and all that. But for me, I think that deck construction element is is the thing that maybe holds me back because when I sit down to play a game, I want my experience with the game to start at that moment instead of having construction that has to happen in advance or that could happen in advance. I know there are games that avoid this a little bit by like Marvel Champions. You can just shuffle together a few different types of cards as you're setting up the game rather than doing that in advance. Um, but I think the thing that that so I actually I started out designing expeditions years ago with the intent of it possibly being a living card game. And then I kept coming back to the idea where I was like, well, if I'm going to design all these cards, why don't why don't I just put them in the game rather than having asking people to buy packs to continually add them to the game? So that was a uh, kind of a big turning point for me where, where it made me less interested in designing this type of game as a publisher. So from a publisher perspective, it's something I considered and ended up moving away from as I was designing a game that could have been an LCG. And um, as a player, I dabble in them, but I don't really go deep into them. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite LCG that you've really enjoyed getting, getting deep into? Also, I'm glad you asked that. This is unrelated, but someone asked me on YouTube, someone who's unable to attend these live, they asked me a question they wanted me to answer live, and that is, uh, this person is interested in joining the game design industry, uh, I think, in terms of a career, but not as a designer. They're interested in all the other possibilities. And they want to know more about them. I do have a few blog posts about this topic, but there, there are a lot of, like, really everyone who works at Stonemaier Games, except for me, uh, my coworkers are not game designers. Um, I do, my, my coworker Alex has designed or co-designed Red Rising with me, but Alex's core responsibilities are not game design. Alex handles 
uh, distribution. He works with localization partners. He handles logistics, and he does uh, he he uh, kind of does um, organizational management with with our fellow coworkers. Susanna works on retail relationships and localization partners. Joe does uh, customer service and communications and fulfillment center work. Uh, Dave does customer service. He works with conventions, and he also does accounts receivable. And we outsource to accountants and, and lawyers and freight shipping companies. There's also, I'm, I'm segueing a little bit there, but we also have Erica works for us. Erica handles our e-commerce elements of, of uh, Stonemaier Games. Alan, my co-founder, he handles submissions and he takes care of human resources and healthcare. Um, Dave is our, uh, Dave H is our webmaster. He does uh, web development, web design. Christine is our creative designer. She's primarily, he's, she primarily does graphic design for us, but she also handles kind of the creative visual side of things at Stonemaier Games. And then we have, uh, Shannon doesn't work for us. Shannon works for Panda, but Shannon works on the publishing, the manufacturing side of things. So Shannon is our project manager at Panda. Um, Morton also works closely with us and his whole Altama factory. They do, they actually do do game design, but specifically solo game design. I'm listing off all these to show you the many different Types of people who can work for a, even a small game company like Stonemaier Games, um, or maybe we'll say medium size. I don't know if I can say small at this point, but medium sized game company. And none of their roles are game design. Um, that's part of my role at, at Stonemaier Games. Maybe 10% of my job is game design. Then there's I do development, marketing, um, outreach, uh, many other things that go into running the business. Um, but yeah, you, I'm just listing jobs to you uh, to show you like the vast range of things that. Uh, are involved in running a, a game company. Um, and uh, part of your question was also, I think, how to start to get into that. And I think really the number one way, I think, to start to get involved in the game industry on some professional level is to volunteer. Um, to and, and I'm not asking anyone to give away their expertise for free. But uh, but I think to get in your, your foot in the door, volunteering is a great way to do it. And really just showing up and being visible and being helpful. So uh, um, like at Stonemaier Games, we have our ambassador program that any, anyone can, can apply for and sign up for. And it's kind of a formal way to uh, say, I want to help with proofreading or I want to help with playtesting or moderation. But some of those things you can do even without signing up formally. You can just show up on a company's Facebook group or Facebook page, a, a publisher that you really admire and that you appreciate and start to answer rules questions and being welcoming to people. And I think that can be a great way to get your foot in the door and get the publisher to notice you. Um, so if the day does come, the publisher has a job that, and you apply for it, then you can say, oh yeah, I've been helping out and you probably recognize my name because I've been helping out in this way for quite some time. So I think that is maybe the number one or at least the first step um, method of getting involved with a game company. And I would say, in 95% of the cases, it's not going to turn into anything. Game publishers are very small. Uh, even some of our games, we have, you know, a decent amount of revenue coming in every year. We have, what, seven employees? Um, and a lot of people that we outsource different specific jobs to, um, including art. I didn't mention art earlier, but art is a huge part of it. But, uh, but yeah, those are a lot of the different jobs involved in the game industry. Most people will not end up working full-time for a board game publisher, but you might have a, a, a side source of income from it, and you might just have fun with it, which I think is great, too. So I am happy to answer, to talk about more of that, uh, too, more, more about this topic if anyone has any follow-up questions about it. Uh, let's see, Tino says, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the masterpiece that is Tapestry. I'm honored that you say that, Tino. Him and his siblings have been playing the game almost daily. That's awesome. Any plans for more Tapestry in the future? I actually think that we've reached the end of Tapestry. There, there are, what, 41 different civilizations in the game, tons of Tapestry cards, tech cards, capital cities uh, across the three expansions and the recent uh, revised Civ pack. So I think we've reached the end of it. I think, um, and honestly, I, I say I think, right? I kind of know that we've reached the end of it because we officially collaborated with Folded Space to make an insert that fits all the content from the game in the original box for the game. And so we wouldn't want to add more now that doesn't fit into that insert. So hopefully you can get plenty of replay value out of what we've already made for Tapestry and that you enjoy the three expansions and the revised Sith pack. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. 
Corey says, did you watch Deal or No Deal Island? We're Survivor fans. It's a lot of fun. I am a big Survivor fan. I haven't really watched much Deal or No Deal, but uh, I'll have to check it out. It, it sounds fun. I, I like island style shows. What is the hook behind it? Is it just Deal or No Deal on an island? Uh, what what makes it? What's the What's the hook to it? Ray says, okay, this is an interesting solution there, Ray. Regarding the size of the tiles, one solution I've seen people do is put little card stands in expeditions that hold the cards upright and then uh and then use smaller hexes. Okay, I can that I can see that. I, I can see them blocking a little content, but uh you're right. That that is a way to to allow for smaller tiles and uh and more efficient use of table space. That's clever, Ray. I like that. Oh, Jeremy tried the Wormspan six-player flock mode, unofficial flock mode that uh, that I mentioned recently. Where if you have an extra play mat and some spare cubes, um, you can you can try to play Wormspan. I was able to do it, Jeremy, in particular because I had two. I have two card tray or card boards, card display boards. But really, you could you don't need another display board. You can just simulate that um, on the table just by putting another set of cards on the table for the second group. This is a, a version, it uses kind of the wingspan flock mode where there's always two players going, going simultaneously and you have two pods of three players. You can rotate those pods or just keep those pods the same throughout the game. Tony says, the Carnegie Science Center here in Pittsburgh is running an exhibit about a future Mars settlement called Mars the Giant, uh, the next giant leap and the display they show a Mars living area and within it, there are two board games, Terraforming Mars and Wingspan. That's awesome. Terraforming Mars certainly makes sense there. I'm honored that they put Wingspan in there as well. Shane says, are there new metal mechs with Expeditions? Yes, we actually have two versions of the Expeditions expansion, one with the plastic mechs, one with the metal mechs. Yeah. Aaron says, out of curiosity, design question here, when you're designing, do you ever have that little voice that tells you your mechanisms and are too simple and thus boring? If so, how do you deal with such an insecurity? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I have uh, many different insecurities about my game designs, especially during the playtesting process. Um, boring is one of the words that I wonder about. Too simple, too boring, too complex, uh, too unintuitive, uh, too uninspired. <clears throat> yeah, those voices are definitely in my head when I'm when I'm playtesting games. And I actually think they're important. I think those, those insecurities, especially if you're making something that you want other people to enjoy, or that you're hoping other people to enjoy, other people that they might spend their money on it too, I think it's important to ask those questions and to uh, to be your own check and balance or be one of your own checks and balances to make sure that you are making something that is special, that is unique, that stands out, that um, that is interesting and compelling. So I, I, I use those as motivation to uh, to make the game, hopefully, or the expansion as good as it can be. Yeah. Julie says, how much do you think game theme influences expectations people's ha people have about a game's weight? Well, that's interesting, Julie. When you hear about a theme for a game, it, it, like if it's a game about cute little critters, are you going to think automatically, oh, it must be a lighter game versus a game about Mars? And then you think, okay, it must be a, must be a heavier game. Um, I think that certainly plays into it. It must. It must play into it a little bit, even subconsciously. Uh, and I, I think sometimes that, that probably means as a publisher, if I publish a game, that has those cute crit critters, but it is a really complex, heavy game um, that I need to clearly communicate that in the marketing of the game. And vice versa, if it's a game, if it has a theme that, that people traditionally associate with really heavy games, but it's a lighter game, I need to clearly communicate that in the marketing as well. I mentioned no, one of my questions of the day here, uh, and this actually kind of came up last week a little bit, bit but I, I wanted to hear your thoughts. Think about your shelf of games. Picture it. Look over at it if you have it. What is your favorite game that you haven't played in at least a year? So a game that you truly love, and yet you have not played it in at least a year. And maybe why? Why do you think that is? So, yeah, what is your favorite game that you own that you haven't actually played in quite a long time? Let me know what your answer is in the comments here. I have one other question that I'll ask after a few more. Actually, I have a couple more questions today. I'll, I'll wait. I'll pause a little bit to answer your questions. They'll come back to it. Corey has been enjoying some quick smaller games, including Ramen Ramen. I like the name of that game. Stool Pigeon hit the game at the table last night as well. I'll have to try those out, Corey. 
Uh, Julia says, I, I enjoyed your Sunday video this week. Was it a learning experience for you as the designer of expeditions to hear deep strategy from another person? Did he get the gears turning for the expansion? Uh, I wouldn't say gears turning for the expansion. It was more interesting to hear someone talk about strategy. It made, made me want to play expeditions and use some of those strategies that James mentioned. This was a video about deep strategy tips for expeditions and apiary. And uh, someone named James from a, a YouTube channel called Spider Forge joined me to talk about deep strategy tips for these games. Um, I'm often thinking about games in the context of how can I teach someone this game? How can I onboard them into the strategy, but not necessarily going deep into the strategy for that game? James is someone who thinks about this for a variety of games. So it was really, really interesting to hear his thoughts on expeditions and apiary. Not really from a design perspective at all, but more so from a, I am getting excited to play these games using these strategies that I hadn't thought of that James mentioned. What else have I written about recently? So that was the video on Sunday. On Monday, I wrote about interactive gift guides and anonymous gift scouting. And then I had a guest post from Sam, who has Everstone on Kickstarter right now, called The First 48 Hours, Five Takeaways. That was last Thursday's post. So Yoa asked about uh, CCGs and LCGs earlier, living card games, collectible card games. And he says, I loved Magic. Magic is the only one, only collectible card game that I've also gotten into. And I only play it via drafts now. I'll get together with friends for a draft, sometimes when a new set comes out, not every set, but some sets. He says he played that when he was younger. Nowadays, LCGs seem more sustainable money-wise. And so I just got Arkham Horror LCG and plan on playing it solo before teaching his friends for co-op. Awesome. I, I hope you have a good time with it. Um, yeah, I could definitely see it being more, more cost-effective to approach LCGs rather than CCGs. Nate says, has Alan ever done game design? So Alan is credited as a co-designer on Euphoria, and on Viticulture. And not to discredit him in any way, but Alan, his main involvement with those games was as a lead play tester. So he would, we would get together to the play test, we would bounce a lot of ideas off each other, and then I would go and I would actually implement those ideas and and uh, and craft the game. So he was he was the most involved from a design perspective uh, through those play test sessions. Many, many for Viticulture, many, many for Euphoria as well. And then he is still involved in the in the playtesting process for any game, um, but not not as involved as he was for those two games. Alan has also dabbled in game design independent of uh, fr from like the actual design perspective where you're actually doing the work to create the, the game. Um, and I think he's found he found that he didn't enjoy that as much. He enjoyed the the, the playtesting role and giving feedback role and brainstorming role a lot more. Uh, Lee says that he and his fiance Susie haven't stopped playing Wormstand since they received it last week in the UK. We love the game and the mechanisms. It's quickly become our favorite and most played game after Apiary. Same designer for both of them, Connie designed Apiary as well. Um, I'm glad to hear that, Lee. That's wonderful to hear. And I did want to send a quick shipping update. I heard from my coworker Joe right before I went live, and he says that it looks like all regions have now finished shipping launch orders. So we launched. Um, Ormspan on our web store a little over three weeks ago, I believe. And it looks like all launch orders have now shipped. Now, obviously, if you just ordered Wormspan yesterday, your order probably hasn't shipped yet. But uh, for our four fulfillment regions, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, US, and Europe, uh, it looks like all launch orders have shipped. And now they're in the like kind of the ongoing order process of getting those, those other orders out at this point now too. So glad to hear that about our fulfillment centers. Uh, Cody says, has a theme, has the theme of a game ever made you curious to learn more about it? For him, the Imperium games, Classic Legends, Horizons, has caused me to watch and read more about the civilizations included in the games. Um, the number one game I think that, that has done this for me was Dune Imperium. I knew nothing about Dune before I played Dune Imperium, and I loved the game so much and, and how it hinted at the the books the broader world that i read the first book i got really really excited about the movie um that is definitely the one that jumps out the most i don't know if a game has done that for me historically for a historical theme but for um yeah for dune the dune ip that that it definitely did it for me yeah okay so this is deal or do, no deal island 
Corey says it has Boston Rob from Survivor and other contestants on the island doing challenges for the briefcases. They still vote off people, but the suitcases and money add another wrinkle to the decisions. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'll, we'll have to check that out. I'll make a note about Deal or No Deal Island. We did. We are watching Traders Season 2, the U.S. version. Um, and we're all caught up to that. So we... we we can't watch more of it until new episodes of that come out. We're also watching our nighttime show. Our other nighttime show is Bodies. We're enjoying, well, I would say enjoying, yes. It is a a, a bit of a uh, gruesome show, this, this Bodies show on Netflix. But it's really well done. It has me definitely intrigued about what is to come in the future. And then our lunchtime show right now is Abbott Elementary. We, we got through, what was our previous lunchtime show? We usually watch like a 20 minute show at lunch. Uh, I'm forgetting the previous one, but we're enjoying Abbott Elementary right now. Chad says, what mascot should a new St. Louis pro sports team use? I think it depends on the team. Um, yeah, what what I I would use the arch in some way. I think the arch is a good, good, you know, iconic. That's what people associate with St. Louis. So I like using the arch for, for mascots. Archie, maybe? Archie the Arch mascot yoma says uh how does art work in some of our games is it in-house only have you ever approached eno tool to make art for one of your games uh so we don't have any in-house artists artists for stillmeyer games we always out we outsource uh contract art from from other artists um usually so i'm actually going through this process right now for a game i reach out to uh well, okay, so the whole process is I usually work with the designer or work with myself and our visual, our creative director, Christine, to select a few different art styles that we think might work well for a game. And then using those styles, I approach one or more artists and I say, hey, or would you be interested in working on this game? And I, I let them know what we what the components we think are going to be in the game, how many of those components there are, what the timeline is, how much we're willing to pay for it, and I see if they're interested. And one of the key... Uh, kind of uh, test of this is I want to see how quickly they respond. I want to, especially if it's someone that I haven't worked with before, I want to see if they communicate clearly and effectively and quickly. And I'm thinking about this right now because two days ago, I approached an artist about a major new project that we need an artist for, and we really like this person's art. But uh, this person has not emailed me back yet. And so there's kind of, I, I will move on if I don't hear back from this person today, unless they email me and say that they weren't, they were out of the office for a week or something like that. So, um, that is a key point in contact. And then I just work with the artists on an ongoing basis after that to, to, uh, to create the art for the game. Yeah. As for Ian O'Toole, I have talked to Ian about doing art for one of our games. He, uh, I ended up going with a different artist for the, the, this particular game that we chose to work with. But I do hope to work with him someday, for sure. I have actually a little project in mind for him that I'd love to work with him on if he's available for it. Um, Aaron says, if you ask me, so I, the question I asked was, what is a game that you love? What is your favorite game that you haven't actually played in a year? Aaron mentioned Earth here. I, I probably won't, I might, I'll mention the games out loud. I won't read everyone's comment here. And says Red Rising, one of our games. Um, Agricola, Star Wars Rebellion. I don't know if I'll be able to write all these down, but uh, but I do appreciate the answers so far. Uh, Sean says, you mentioned expeditions didn't do as well as you hoped. Apart from sales, how did you determine that? Engagement in social media? Are you able to see play numbers in BGG or any other platforms? It's a good question, Sean. How do I gauge this? Part of it's my gut feeling of how people are receiving the game. And part of that is the rating on BoardGameGeek. At this point in size, life, life cycle, I think it was like an 8.2 on BoardGameGeek. Expeditions seems to be seeing a lot less plays uh, and the rating, I think, is around 7.8 right now, so much lower than um, than Scythe. Um, and yeah, just the engagement in general. Like Scythe, I know there were fewer games back then when Scythe came out, but Scythe was in the hotness for months. It was just always in the hotness, and Expeditions is not on the hotness all that much. Um, maybe it's just because there are more games. But yeah, it, it definitely just does not seem that, and even the Facebook group too, people seem to be, really playing side even more now than than playing expeditions in terms of first year sales they're probably comparable uh we we have a much broader reach now than we did when when side came out um so it, 
for sales, they're, they're fairly comparable, but people who are actually continually playing expeditions um, seems less than, than what Scythe was doing around the same time. My perception could be wrong about it, though. We'll see how the expansion does. Tino mentions Ankh as his game that he loves but hasn't actually played in a while. Ray says Game of Thrones, XCOM. I'm looking for kind of trends here, Game of, of Thrones. Some of these are kind of big epic games, but not necessarily. Uh, Twilight Imperium, Garrett says Scythe. Scythe. Your favorite game that you haven't actually played in over a year. Twilight Imperium 4. Root. Uh, Summit. Yeah, I, I definitely can't write down all these, but I love these answers. Summit. Another someone else says Scythe. See Power Grid, Carcassonne, Game of Thrones, Mansions of Madness. Uh, lots of numbers says, I saw Bellatro in the title. So he's immediately in, or they're immediately in. What have I missed? I just mentioned that I've been playing Bellatro a little bit lately and really enjoying it. Um, I, I love the concept of it. And I, I would say one thing about Bellatro, I tried to watch some reviews of it before playing it. And the reviews, more so than any other games that I think I've played, they did not describe what makes the game special. It was really interesting. They were not going into what makes the game special. And so I try to go into that in my discussion about Bellatro. I have a video coming out on Thursday about it. But um, yeah, so I, I, I won't repeat it here. I said it earlier in the video, but I am really enjoying it. And I hope you're enjoying it too. It's a, it's a really neat poker-like deck building game that's uh, digital only right now. I think it will only work digitally. Uh, Julie says, Car a few people actually mentioned Carcassonne as the game that they love, but haven't actually played in a long time. Robinson Crusoe. Ian says, Parks, New York Zoo. Liz has Fantastic Factories, Rolling Realms, Mariposas, Castles of Burgundy, Murano. She says, there are just so many great games. And that can, that's definitely part of it. There are a lot of great games to play. It's hard to read all of them. Hard to play all of them. Chad says he watched Netflix's The Last Airbender. It was okay, which still kind of bummed him out. Have you ever found a live action adaptation that was better than the original? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I heard that it was just okay. And I was... It, it diminished my excitement a little bit. I, I'm sure I still will watch it, but I have not watched it yet. Um, a live action that was better than the original. May, you know, Megan and I have watched all of the live action Disney movies that had their animated originals. So I'm trying to think if there are any that we enjoyed more than the original animated version. Truly enjoyed it more. Mulan, maybe. Uh, it's pretty different than the original. Megan, can you hear me right now? Is, is there any live action Disney movie that you enjoy more than the animated original? Okay. Yeah, Megan says Mulan is, is the closest for us for, for that. And I would I think I would agree with that. It, it, Mulan is pretty visually beautiful. I, I'd say stunning, really, um, in the, the film version. I'm trying to think of any TV shows like that, but there aren't as many TV shows examples, I don't think. So offhand, that's the only one I can think of, but there might be others. Romaine says, following the success of Wormspan, the base game, did you start on the first expansion? I mean, we haven't even had the retail release of Wormspan yet. So no, we haven't done anything with any expansion stuff for Wormspan yet. So we'll wait until the retail release and then Connie and I will have a chat about, about if, uh, if we should make an expansion for it. Yeah. Uh, William mentions uh, Pandemic is his favorite game that he hasn't played in a long time. Too soon triggering for the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. I can definitely see that. So, when, uh, so multiple people, I've seen th three people mention Root so far. I can definitely see that. Lots of answers here. Yoba says, do I have any Grail games? Games are specific editions of games that I would love to own, but don't own. You know, I don't think I have any games like that. That isn't to say there aren't games. There are many games that I haven't played that I want to play. But owning games isn't particularly important to me. I just want to be able to, I want to have access to them. I want to play, I want to play games. Um, so no, I don't think I do have any, any like truly grail games. I had a nice like wooden chess set when I was a kid. And I, lo I, I lost, I don't know what happened to that specific chess set. And just for nostalgia, I would, I would love to have that specific chess set back. 
But then again, I don't really get chests to the table all that often. And we have a fun like Mario version of it somewhere. I think we still had that. Maybe it's gone. Um, but we had one that I enjoyed. So I don't really need that specific chest set. But I don't think I do. Yeah. Let me ask. I, I do see some other questions here. Let me pose. Well, do I want to hold this back? Yeah, I have, I have other questions. I have two other questions. I'll throw them out there. If you want to answer them now or in the comments, feel free to do so. And then I'll, I'll answer your questions for the rest of the video. So the first is I, about Bellatro, actually. So Bellatro is a roguelike deck building poker style game. Roguelike means that it has like a series of challenges that you're facing and you're trying to get farther and farther and farther along. I haven't beat it yet. So maybe there is a boss at the end. I'm assuming there's like a final boss or maybe you just keep on going as long as you can possibly go. And in tabletop games, it seems like there are very few games that use this format where you're just trying to get like a little farther, a little farther. The really the only game I can think of that does this, and I'm sure there are others, but the one only one I can think of is Dwarf Romantic. So Dwarf Romantic, you're trying to just score as many points as possible. And then you play again and try to get a little bit further and score a few more points. But this roguelike genre is very popular in digital games, especially digital deck building games. But it hasn't seemed to carried over to carry over into the tabletop space and i'm curious why why do you think roguelikes work so well for digital play but not necessarily for tabletop play i do know that there's a slay the spire tabletop game coming out where they're going to try to simulate that i'm curious i'm curious if they'll be successful in doing so and i wonder if part of it is the one player mode of it but i think it's possible to do these games cooperatively or even competitively um but yeah, just the idea of going one step further and having the sense of progress of getting further and further, maybe not making it all the way to the end, but uh, but still feeling like you accomplished a bunch of goals by getting by going like one step at a time, one after another. But maybe I'm not maybe I'm not even thinking about it the right way. Maybe there are roguelikes, and I'm just not thinking of them that, that way on the tabletop space. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. The other question I have is, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to someone to the internet to people who engage in online communities on the internet especially we'll make this in tabletop games in the online gaming community um for the way that people engage in those gaming communities in a way that you think could make the gaming community better and more welcoming and just more robust just better um in general one piece of advice in terms of how people interact with the gaming community what would that advice be? Um, it can be a, a don't do this or do more of this. It can be either one or anything in that in that spectrum. What advice would you give to the general people on the internet who interact in gaming communities? Uh, one thing that you would like to see people do a little better. Let me know about that in the comments as well. I will focus on your questions for the rest of the live cast here. Rocky says, what crowdfunding games is that, are people excited about? He says, mean Minakashi Temple just finished their campaign, and he's excited about the Cascadia Roll and Write campaign right now. Um, let's see. Aaron says he doesn't want to be negative, but I, I don't see a way a live-action remake of an animated show can be better. Animation is so expressive, and I find it gets squashed in transition to live-action. I think that, that does make it difficult. I think sometimes there are, uh, the, despite the beauty of the animation, sometimes the plot of animated shows or tv uh, yeah tv shows or movies could be improved and so uh i think a live action version is an opportunity to revisit some of those elements that that could need a little improvement for example in aladdin if you, in the original animated aladdin movie princess jasmine is given very little to do other than just be a princess um, but in the live action version she has an active role in her own fate and the fate of uh, the, the the empire and the fate of the people around her and I think her role is much better uh, uh, created and, and, and shown in the in the live action version of the movie. So that isn't they could have done like a, a remake of the animated version and still done that. Um, but that I think that it is an opportunity to improve certain aspects of the game. Cinderella, Garrett mentioned Cinderella. I did think Cinderella was pretty well done. I agree. Yeah, that was a fun one. I actually Amazon released their own version of Cinderella that I really liked. That I thought was really really good even better than the Disney version. Uh, your inner child says, do I have a list of games that I want to be taught at Geekware that, that I want to play at the first time for Geekway? I do. I, I usually post that week on my personal blog about a week or two before Geekway. Yeah. But I do have a, a growing list. I, I create that list over the course of the year. <laughs> 
Chad says, when Walter stretches, our, our cat Walter, are you like me and you non-consciously say something like, big stretch? I, I, I'm sure I do sometimes, yeah. I, I have, <laughs> Megan maybe just does that a little bit more. And we also talk to Walter all the time. So it, not just subconsciously, but also just out loud. Uh, Steve says that Mini Rogue does well for a roguelike game. It's a one or two player game. And this actually mentions, it reminds me that one deck dungeon is a little bit like a roguelike game on the tabletop. Maybe I should do a list about uh, roguelikes. You know, I'll, I'll make a note here. Tabletop roguelikes. Thoughts about them. Rogue likes. So you mentioned Mini Rogue. Uh, I mentioned Dwarf Romantic and uh one deck dungeon one deck dungeon and actually uh expeditions was heavily inspired by slay the spire i i, I try to kind of capture that roguelike element of it but uh i kind of i really struggled with the design I struggled with a way to capture that roguelike feel in a tabletop game while designing expeditions jim says he's working on one so he, he's trying to Trying to make a roguelike game, Jim. Are there any inspirations for you? Any any tabletop roguelikes that have been inspired to you that I can talk about in the video? Uh, Yoa says to me the most interesting thing about roguelikes is the procedural generation that allows you to keep replaying the game while keeping it fresh. I totally agree with that. I think tabletop games can do that pretty well, though. Tabletop games, you know, they shuffle a deck of cards. You have procedural generation there. You have plenty of games with exploration where the tiles come out in a different order or a different ma manner. So, I think that fits really well. I think. I guess you're saying that true procedural is that it isn't just random. It's slightly informed by decisions the player is making too. So that's a little bit tougher to do on the tabletop. Sean says, would Mythwind be a roguelike? I thought I remember reading about the game and thinking that, hmm, maybe. I would put it more in like the Stardew Valley genre. Cozy game, cozy kind of grindy game. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a roguelike though. Okay. Oh, Corey. Okay. This is good advice for the internet. Don't try to be the smartest person in the room. That's great advice, Corey. That's something that I could, uh, I could learn from. Uh, don't try to be the smartest. I, I got to write that down. Try to be the smartest person in the room. Or uh, it, even just like, being being caught up in like being right isn't always actually helpful to anyone. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Tino says, I think the biggest part of keeping track of all the physical components that you gain with each run, also one of the most addictive factors of roguelikes is the ability to immediately go. I, I, I missed the end of the comment there, Tino, but maybe, maybe go is the end of it. Um, don't be a gatekeeper just because you don't like something doesn't lessen how much someone else enjoys it. People forget that at all the at times. Yeah. Don't be a gatekeeper. I, absolutely. No gatekeeping. Okay. Tino, here's Tino, the rest of Tino's comment onto another run. The gameplay loop is that ability to immediately replay the game and keep getting further. So I think that's what makes it difficult to translate into a board game. In general, I also, also agree with that. I can also see that. I think there are things tabletop games can do to make a game easy to set up or easy to, to restart. But um, maybe the restart is almost the difficult part because if you have accumulated a bunch of specific cards, do you have to put them back in specific places or can you just shuffle them back up and go? Julie says people are quick to disparage things that other people like. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand that. There's no reason to go out of your way to rip on something that someone else is celebrating. This happened actually in the comments today on I, I posted about my love for Arc Nova. And I don't think the person was trying to be mean or nasty or to cause a fuss or cause chaos, but someone chose to come into the comments and sit and talk about how much they didn't like Arc Nova. And I was like, this isn't the place for that. Like. If you really want to do that, if you want to spend your precious time and energy talking about how you don't like a game, start a new thread about that. But don't go into someone's thread who is talking about how much they excited, how excited they are about Arc Nova and the expansion and talk about it there. Like that isn't the place for it. There's no need for it there. I totally agree, Julie. Uh, Chad says, in Cockroach Poker, the goal is to make someone lose. It's so different and interesting. Did you ever, or do you ever consider new mechanisms for the end of the game rather than during the game? 
new mechanisms for the end of the game or during the game. I mean, I do think about end game conditions a lot. Um, so yeah, I think I, to a certain extent, yeah, I, I do think all the time about how I want a game to end and how I think a game can build to a, a great climax, really. Joseph, any plans for lighter, less than 2.5 in the weight scale of Stillmire games in the future? I would say a lot of our games hover around that 2.5. Um, we generally focus on event games uh, that uh, that are kind of the meat of a game night that are at least 45 minutes, but that doesn't mean they necessarily have to be heavy. Libertalia, Red Rising, Rolling Realms, Between Two Castles, Between Two Cities, those aren't particularly heavy games. My Little Scythe, I think, is probably below that 2.5 as well. So I would say we, we probably do have games that are that are like right around there, for sure, including the games that we already have. Joe says that in some sense, Sleeping Gods and Seventh Continent uh, where there are more events that most players will experience uh, close to reaching the property of roguelikes. I'm trying to think, would I consider Sleeping Gods a roguelike? In some ways, yeah, an open world roguelike. I guess for roguelikes, I, I do think of them as being like, tr just trying to get like a little bit further than the previous time you played. And that, that I wouldn't necessarily correlate that to Sleeping Gods. Um, yeah, but I, I think you're onto something there for sure. <laughs> Didi says, "Internet advice: never LOL or even react passively to awkward or inappropriate posts." Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's something I don't even really think to do. But yeah, I, I have seen people do that. Cody says, "Do you think a live action version of a Hayao Miyazaki movie could work?" Hmm, that would be very difficult. I think his movies are so distinctly animated that I think that would be pretty darn difficult. I'd love to see it once to see if it if it works, but uh, but I would have my doubts that that could work out pretty well. Ian says you are so organized. What's your secret? I actually don't think I'm all that organized. I you know I use sticky I have sticky notes all over my desk. I have multiple list apps that I use. Um, but uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, well, I have like four different types of list apps. But the list help. So I, having list in some form, I think help help to keep me organized. Yoa says, check out Chronicles of Stampadia. It's a print-and-play roguelike, and the creator has given at least one talk about it. Okay, awesome, yeah. Chronicles of Stampadia. And that actually reminds me, there is a uh, a word, like a letter or word-themed game that is inspired by roguelikes. Um, oh, what is the name of it? It is... Uh, Cody says, am I saying roguelike or roguelite? I think I'm, hopefully I'm using the term correctly. I'm saying roguelike. Should I be saying roguelite? I'm talking about Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire is a, you know, that's what Google thinks. Slay, Slay the Spire roguelike or roguelike? Slay the Spire is a unique roguelite game. Okay, I am saying the word, the wrong word then. Roguelite. Not rogue-like. I'm sorry about that. That shows how much I know about video games. Rogue-lite. Not rogue-like. Um, but anyway, this is a word. This is a word-themed game. Um, I'll just write down letter word that uh, that is all about um, using creating words to defeat a, a series of enemies. I think is a rogue-lite game. Let's see. I, I, I'm a little over time here, so I'm just going to scroll real quickly here to see if there's anything else. Okay, Cody says rogue-like means specifically no meta progression. If you die, you start from scratch with no advantage. Rogue-lite means it has meta progression. You die, but you keep something you can use to make the next run easier. Interesting. Okay. Thank you for differentiating that. So they are pretty similar. What am I thinking about more here? I guess either could work in a tabletop form. I'm probably thinking more about rogue-like, where you do truly start over, like in most tabletop games, you start over from scratch. Um, and I think there actually was a tabletop game that came out that used rogue-like, or rogue-lite that had meta progression last year sometime. I think it's from the designer of, um, oh, what is the designer? Maybe of Seven Wonders? He may have come out with one. It was based on a video game. I'm forgetting that one right now, too. Uh, I'll write down Seven Wonders and try to find it later. Yeah. Martin mentions that most are most roll and write roguelike. 
think it depends on the on the on the roll and write specifically, but maybe there could be some out there. Romaine says, would you ever consider working with someone who is not in the design industry? Like I have a game that I think could use a big box. So you would consider working with a project like that doesn't involve licensing. A game I like that I could do. Um, I have to understand a little bit more about the question, Romaine. Like from a consultant role, like consulting on a certain thing, I don't do that. I don't do private consultation. I'm happy to talk about anything publicly like, like in this format, but not, uh, not, not private consultation. So like my, our role is that we publish games and we publish games either that I design or that someone submits to us uh, through our submission form and that we accept and that we publish that way. That Those are the only two things that we do, basically. So if it fits into that mold, possibly, yeah. Um, Martin says, advice for influencers specifically, don't be a commercial channel with mostly reviews of new games. In my timeline, I have a, each week, I have multiple channels reviewing the same games. Hmm. I don't know if that one resonates with me, Martin, but I hear that, that that's important to you. I don't see reviewers as commercial channels. I see them as wanting to talk about things that their audience wants to learn about. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. That one doesn't, I, I hear you, but that one doesn't resonate with me. Um, Time Stories, David. Yeah, Time Stories is roguelike. Yes, and it is rogue. So roguelike has uh, meta progression. I'm glad you mentioned that. I love Time Stories. You're right. Totally right. It does do that. Thank you, Cody. Cody got it. Paperback Adventure is the letter one. Paperback Adventure. A dead Cells. And Andre got the other one. Dead Cells. Awesome. Well done. Well done, guys. You saved me from having to look up these things. Dead Cells. Yeah, that was the other one that came out. I haven't heard much about that one since it came out. And Susanna. Thank you, Susanna. Paperback Adventures. That's right. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think we're. Uh, Romaine says Shadow of the Bat. It's in four boxes. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to look into Shadow of the Bat. And lots, uh, lots, we'll say uh, lots of numbers gonna have the last say here. Palatro has ideas that may not be recognized at once. What I felt the most is the sense of predictable but actual unpredictable results of hands that you play. Yeah, that was part of the fun for me that you you play a hand and you don't really know how many points you're getting from it. You know it's good, but you don't know how many points you're getting from that hand until you, you actually see how it scores. All right, I think we're, we're a little over time today, but I was loving having this discussion with you. Thank you for all of your answers, your questions. This was a great way to spend my hour and hopefully a good way to spend some of your time as well. If you catch this video in the future, feel free to comment on the YouTube comments version of it and let me know your thoughts on any of these questions. I'd love to hear from you there. Have a great Wednesday and I'll see you next Wednesday for e-newsletter day. Take care. Bye. Oh, and have fun leap day tomorrow. Have a great leap day.